Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me is Aaron Miller. This is our question of the week episode for this week and recording on Thursday afternoon. And uh, we decided to focus this question of the week on uh, internet analyst Mary Meeker's big deck that she does at least once a year and which she presented uh, this year's version of at the uh, Code conference that's run by Recode. Um, it's a long deck and there was a lot that she presents in a very short space of time, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. And so we thought we'd just kind of drill down on that a little bit and pull out some of the key sort of messages, key insights from there. We're not going to cover the whole thing by any stretch of the imagination, but Aaron's been looking through it and he's pulled out some key themes around three major topics. So, um, that's what we'll be covering in this episode. We will do a news roundup episode, uh, as well tomorrow as usual, um, so look out for that on Friday. Uh, but for now, we'll do this deep dive on the Mary Mika deck. And uh, Aaron, kind of, do you want to kind of kick us off here, sort of give us a bit of an introduction to what this deck is and, and how we should be thinking about it? Yeah, so, so Mary Meeker is a partner at Kleiner Perkins, which is a, a big and very successful venture capital firm in the Bay Area. Um, uh, Mary's been doing this deck for years. I don't even know for how long she's been doing it. It's an interesting exercise because it's really uh, extensively researched. She draws on a lot of different data sources. In fact, none of them are original to her. They're just reports or, or other groups that are bringing together this data, and so she sort of combines it all. Every year she picks some major themes that she thinks are interesting. I, th I think what's what I like about her approach to this every year is that <clears throat> she's not ever deliberately predicting the future. She's just pointing at trends that she thinks are really interesting. Um, and there, there are quite a few each year, quite a few trends each year that she points to. This year it was a really big deck. It was almost 100 slides bigger than she had ever done before. Um, and actually covers 11 different major topics, um, which is also a, a lot more than she's done in the past. Um, it's a useful and interesting um, resource to just sort of look at the state of the Internet and related technology um, year to year. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes some years she points at trends that sort of never really materialize, but... But that doesn't matter because she's not predicting that they're going to, you know, change the world sort of thing. She's just saying, hey, here are some interesting directions that things seem to be headed. So that's the sum of it. I, although there are 11 topics and this is huge deck, obviously we're not going to cover all of that. I, I kind of wanted to just talk through some general advice on how to read these decks of hers um, and then take three of the topics that she addressed, starting with mobile and then I thought her stuff on China and her stuff on India were really, both of those were really interesting. So I thought it'd be fun to spend some time on those. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I've always, I've always found this exercise an interesting one. I mean, as, as an analyst who tries to be insightful and original in my own sort of thinking and analysis, I, I always, I'm in two minds about this Mary Mika Jack, because as you say, it is basically entirely reliant on other people's data and insights that are sort of cobbled together. And as you say, without a ton of real sort of predictive power or a huge amount of stuff from her, it's mostly an aggregation exercise. And so as I say, I'm always in two minds about it, but 
you know, I think in terms of compiling lots of the most interesting data points on the internet into one place, I think it's sort of unrivaled. And, you know, yeah. if you can spend 355 slides doing it, then, uh, you know, clearly you can pack a lot in there. So uh, that's what makes it interesting. And I guess that that's why we're doing this deep dive on it this week. Um, you mentioned you had some sort of advice for us up front. So how should we be reading the deck and, and sort of what, what's the context really that we should be seeing all of this in? Yeah, well, she's like I said, she's pointing to trends. And so that's the way to look at all of this is she just is sort of saying, hey, here's an interesting trend you should pay attention to. Here's another one to pay attention to. So she's looking into the future without actually predicting the future. Um, and I think that's one of the things uh, sometimes people take these decks from her and it's been more so in years past. And I think the that this instinct is sort of cooled a bit, but a lot of people sort of saw it as fortune telling, you know, looking into the future. And that's not really what this is about. So that's one important thing because a lot of the trends she points to, um, she likes to point to examples of rapid growth in some area or another. And you have to pay attention to those because sometimes rapid growth comes off of a very small base. Um, and so rapid growth is obviously a lot easier. An example of that, when she gets into the China section of her deck, she talks about bike sharing, like bicycle sharing in China. And uh, that's slide 214. She points out how rapidly this is growing over an eight-month period. It's had 25x growth. Well, you need to look at the base because bike sharing over, you know, this around this time last year had less than a million people. Now it has 21 million people using it. 21 million out of a population of over a billion is not a massive new market, <laughs> right? But 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 she points to this as like, hey, here's a really fast-growing, interesting thing. It's true it's fast-growing, but it's fast-growing because it's growing off of such a tiny base, and that's why it has such a high percentage growth rate. Um, on the flip side, she points to other things that have declining growth rates where things aren't growing as fast as they were before, but that's because the base on which these things are growing is so much bigger than it used to be. And so, for example, the the, the growth rate of uh, new internet users in China, that, that growth rate has been slowing, but it's also because it's building off of a base of hundreds of millions of internet users. And so it can't keep growing it. Where at one point it was growing at, at you know a couple hundred percent a year, obviously it can't keep doing that if we're already at over half the population of China using the internet. So, so that's one thing to pay attention to is when you look at growth rates throughout the deck, you got to make sure you're paying attention to the bases off which those, those rates are growing. Um, another thought just to point out is that her, one of her big new topics this year is she talks a lot about gamification and the influence of video gaming in all kinds of different spaces. And it's really extensive and fascinating and pretty detailed, but the whole thing reads like an old person who just discovered video games. <laughs> which is which is a little, I don't know, like I, I'm kind of of two minds about it. It's like, yeah, you know, this is actually a well-articulated breakdown of how game of how games have influenced all these other products and markets. But uh, so so there's a lot of in interesting tidbits in there, but it's weird because it's not a new trend. And normally she's pointing to new trends. Normally she's pointing to things and saying, hey, look at where this is going in the future and where this is going in the future. Um, that the reality is, is that the, the influence of gaming has been around for decades. 
Um, and so she's not really pointing to anything new. Uh, in fact, uh, she gives a ton of examples of things that have kind of always been around. And, you know, gaming is so deeply embedded in all these really interesting ways. It's, it, it, so that's that whole section in her deck this year is the sort of thing where you're not going to learn anything new or be surprised by anything, but it is kind of nice to have it articulated in a detailed way. So that's neat. But it's not like this is some big new trend that she's discovered because it really does read like, 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 you know, my grandpa just discovered video games and thinks I really right. cool. wants to make sure I know, know about them. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, generally speaking, I think the other piece of advice is throughout, you just got to make sure you're paying attention to the details. Um, she's painting a narrative, right? So it's driven by anecdotes, driven by rates and raw numbers that are often taken out of context. You know, for example, she charts, she points out that the Chinese are spending over 2,500 hours on the internet per year. But what that means exactly, it's hard to say. Um, it's interesting to watch that change over time. And we'll talk about that figure later. But uh, but the overall point is uh, you can kind of get just totally like bowled over by all this data. And so as you read it, it's it's worth taking the time to just pay attention to the details. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's dive into some of the individual topics and let's kick off. I think you said you're going to start us off with mobile. So why don't we talk about what she has to say about mobile, which is, of course, in and of itself a massive topic. It is, and it actually bleeds into almost everything else. I mean, this is an Internet Trends report and Internet is mobile in so many ways now that it sort of it really does kind of step into all of the other topics she discusses. Uh, she goes right from the top by pointing out that's, that smartphone growth is slowing globally, which I, I think is important because it's been slowing in the U.S. for a while now, but growth is now slowing globally. Um, the year-over-year -year drop in install-based growth went from 25% to 12%, and units shipped went from 10% to 3%. Again, these are building off of a pretty huge base of smartphone users and, and smartphone shipments. Um, but I think this tells us that there are going to need to be structural changes in the market before we see more rapid growth again in smartphones. Um, it, it wouldn't really mean that, I mean, one way you could think it is maybe smartphones will come up with some new value proposition, but I, I don't think that's the case. I think most people that most people that can get a smartphone probably have one. Like there aren't very many holdouts anymore in, in that space. And, and so the problem is the people who need to be getting smartphones in the future are the ones who still can't afford them. And so I, so, so the structural change that needs to happen is that smartphones probably need to become a lot cheaper or alternatively emerging economies will need to grow faster. These are probably both going to happen. Not probably. These are definitely both going to be happening in an overlapping way. Um, uh, but I think a lot of people are thinking the smartphone just has to get dirt cheap to get where it needs to go. I, I think the truth is emerging economies are going to grow faster than most people expect. And she even points to that at the very end of the deck, pointing out that global poverty is at its lowest rate ever historically. And, and, the, and, and global poverty has been declining more rapidly than ever in history. And, and so emerging economies are going to be the way for smartphones to continue to grow um, in, in terms of penetration, shipments, and so forth. Um, so, I, so it's not just going to be about smartphones getting cheaper necessarily. 
Um, she talks a lot about advertising in this deck as a separate topic, um, but mobile is such a huge influence in, in advertising and such an interesting factor of advertising today in the U.S. that it's interesting to look at in the context. So it's interesting to look at advertising in the context of mobile. I think one of her most insightful slides is the one where she points out the amount of time spent on each sort of major um, media consuming activity like TV, radio, uh, print and so forth. So the amount of time spent versus the amount of ad spend, meaning the percentage of money spent, the percentage of total ad spending that goes toward that platform. And what she points out is that people right now spend about 28% of their time on mobile phones uh, versus the other categories, uh, you know, television, uh, desktop web and others. Um, but mobile only gets 21% of the ad spend. And that's on the chart, that's a pretty big gap compared to the other platforms. They all map a little more closely, a lot more closely. And she actually says this is about a $16 billion opportunity where ad spending just doesn't, isn't keeping up with the amount of time people are spending on their smartphones. Um, just some thoughts about this. I don't think this is because advertisers are ignoring mobile. Um, I think it's actually better explained by mobile being a lot harder to advertise on. And we talked about this a little bit uh, about a month ago when we did a question of the week on this topic. Um, but uh, one of the challenges of advertising on mobile is there's not room to do peripheral advertising like there is on web or um, um, like there is on the on the desktop web. Um, the problem with mobile is it has to take your total attention. That's a strategy that has worked in other media like radio or television. Um, but even television struggles because a lot of people watch TV with DVRs now and so they're skipping commercials. And so this idea of total attention being necessary for delivering ads is part of the big challenge for advertising on mobile. But that said, smartphones are such an innovative, interesting platform in terms of what they can do relative to all of these other platforms. Like a TV sits there and shows you pictures and plays sounds, and that's about it. A smartphone can be a lot more interesting because location can matter and change. There's there are cameras embedded in these devices, which opens up door, all kinds of doors like fragmented reality and so forth. And so these are really fascinating advertising platforms. The problem is just figuring out the ads that people are willing to give their full attention to rather than their peripheral attention to. Um, you know, a lot of people are comparing desktop web um, advertising to mobile advertising, and I think that's misplaced, and you get a lot of that vibe out of her deck. Um, you know, the web was kind of like a Wild West slash gold rush of advertising, um, and it's because just about anybody could do it, and they could do it really easily. That's not true for mobile. Not anybody can advertise or build an, an ad platform like I can start a blog and run banner ads. It's harder to do that kind of a thing on mobile because mobile is so heavily dependent on apps rather than web. And apps are much more tightly controlled platforms. Um, this is the reason that Facebook is the king of mobile advertising. Um, they have a totally controlled platform that takes advantage of mobile with its locations, social networks, content. And then they also, in Facebook, have content that can be broken up without being too annoying, right? And so you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and you're running across ads as you go. You don't have to give it a ton of attention if it's something that's not interesting to you. Facebook has this really tight control over this app and, and that's why they have had so much success with it. That's harder to do today than it was for somebody to start a blog and slap up banner ads. Um, 
I think another problem with advertising through apps is that uh, advertising is also not one size fits all like it's been with the web. And in this regard, the, um, Mary's deck is really fascinating because it covers a lot of examples. She covers a lot of examples of how diverse advertising seems to be on mobile. Um, for example, she, she, she points out how Ben and Jerry's has had success using user-generated content to promote their brand on various platforms like Instagram. Um, you know, this is a unique, weird thing that never existed before, where somebody would go to a Ben & Jerry's, you know, retail store, grab some at the, at the grocery, you know, from the grocery store in the freezer case, take a picture of it, blog, you know, write, write a, an Instagram, you know, put up an Instagram picture with a post about it. And, and, and then Ben & Jerry's grabs this and figures out ways to promote it. And this is a totally different advertising landscape than has existed before. Um, but the problem is this makes ad buying a lot more complicated than it used to be on the web where you just buy like display ads, right? You just buy a, a banner ad and, and it's sort of you're told the dimensions that you need to fit your ad in and you do it and then it gets rolled out through all these ad networks and it's a lot, it's a lot less complicated. Today, advertising, um, because of the nature of mobile as a platform, advertising has to be a lot more diverse, a lot more creative and, and, and so there's not going to be sort of one-size-fits-all for advertising effectively on mobile. Um, there are a lot of opportunities ahead because of this. Um, obviously, with assistance, location, augmented reality, and Maker kind of points to all of those and gives examples, which I think is really cool. Um, but mobile is, is, is accelerating in terms of its share of our attention day-to-day. And it's just fascinating that advertising isn't keeping up. And I think she does a good job of surveying sort of the problems as to why that's true and the creative solutions people are coming up with. But I think what's going to be different about mobile advertising versus web or TV or radio or any of the others is that there aren't going to be, there's going to be a lot more diversity in the way people are advertised to um, on their smartphones. Um, just some other interesting things tied to that. Online ads are going to overtake TV ads this year in terms of ad spend. That's a combination of both mobile and desktop web. So more more money will be spent on those versus TV for the first time ever. Um, the other interesting mobile trend that she pointed out um, is that mobile video um, is shifting away from YouTube and general web over to Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. And YouTube used to have 31%, last year had 31% share of, uh, of mobile video viewing, and it's now down to 21%, which is an interesting problem for Google because they derive a lot of their um, ad revenue from their, from their own properties. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that that one about time spent versus money spent on advertising is, I think, an old Merrymaker favorite. I think that may have been in there since yeah. the earliest decks. I remember seeing previous versions of that one. And the gap has certainly closed very significantly over the last few years. But as you point out, there still is a gap there. And, and yet you can't just sort of assume that on a linear basis that the ad spend is going to be the same as the time spent for all the reasons that you articulated. So that's certainly an interesting one to watch. I think the other big change obviously from desktop to mobile is yeah the number of um the number of players that controls the vast majority of the ad spend um you know is very much smaller on mobile than it is on uh, yeah. on the desktop and, and so it creates a whole different set of opportunities even though we're seeing some of the same players play there the share between them is quite different from what it was in the desktop world 
Yeah, um, and it's going to continue to shift that way, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and you know, there's there's always these numbers that come out about what percentage of the growth in the industry each year is taken up, especially in the U.S. by Facebook and Google. And I think some of that is a little exaggerated, but it's certainly those two companies do capture the lion's share of growth in the online ad market in the U.S. at this point. Um, well, let's move on to your second topic, which I think was China, and then we'll talk about India third after that. But um, talk to us about China and some of the, the things you thought were most insightful in the deck about the internet in China. Yeah, this was my favorite topic of hers this year. Um, I think she did a really, really good job in pointing to a lot of fascinating stuff that's going on in China. Um, Chinese internet users, the growth rate of Chinese internet users has slowed over the last five years. But again, that's mostly an artifact of of uh, this huge base that is growing on now. Uh, in fact, there are now almost 700 million internet users in China. <laughs> that is a mind-boggling number. <laughs> and it seems like it's settled into about a 10% growth rate per year. So, um, so you know, the, the curve is slowing down in terms of growth for this, but, but it's, it's a huge, huge base now. And, and, uh, and it's, it's, it, it makes sense that she spends so much time talking about China and her deck because you kind of have to when you have a, a, a population of Internet users as big as that. Um, in China, as, as, as you would expect, and, and most of our listeners would assume, mobile is the source of new growth. In, in fact, if you look at media consumption, in China, that's actually growing. So people are spending more time consuming various media sources. But it's but that number has been the amount of media consumption has only been growing on the back of mobile. All the other categories are either steady or declining. And so radio, um, newspapers have stayed steady in terms of media consumption. TV and desktop web have actually gone down a little bit. Um, and, and I think that's just because people have been shifting away from TV and desktop web into mobile. Um, which is a trend that's been happening in the U.S. as well, so it shouldn't surprise us that it's happening in China too. Um, but but overall, media consumption has been going up. Um, I think one of her most insightful charts in uh, in the China section is about the share of daily hours spent on various uh, internet media sources um, uh, paired or lined up against uh, internet properties. And what's fascinating when you look at that chart is that Tencent, the company that owns WeChat and a bunch of other properties for games, video, music, etc., Tencent, this one company, owns half of the daily hours spent on the web in China. And, and, and I mean, that's a big deal, not just because of its share, but that's a big deal because it's on a base of 700 million users. This is an absolutely massive internet property the biggest in the world by a huge measure and really, well, I guess that's not technically true because of Facebook and, and, and its platforms, but, but, uh, but I mean, the, the, the control and ownership that Tencent has over the Chinese internet is, is, is absolutely incredible. Um, she talks about gaming and how fast gaming is growing in China, again, driven by mobile, uh, re gaming revenue, not including hardware sales is actually bigger in China than in the U S now. So gaming revenue in China last year was around $25 billion versus around $23 billion in, in the U.S. Um, and remember, that's the, that means there's still a lot of headroom for growth because of the difference in the number of users. $23 billion is being generated off of a much smaller number in the U.S. than the $25 billion being generated in China. <clears throat> and so 
uh, so expect gaming. So I think this is a trend she's pointed to that we can see accelerate quite a bit. And I think gaming is going to get really, really big as a business in China. It's already big, but it'll be a lot bigger than it is now. The other thing that I didn't know much about when it came to the Chinese internet is how popular live streaming has become. Uh, there are a lot of internet personalities, um, uh, like game shows, all kinds of other things that are that are being delivered through live streaming. And and it's not just any kind of live streaming. It's not it's not ad driven live streaming. A lot of this is actually paid live streaming, where people are making microtransactions to pay for this live streaming. Uh, you know. Uh, video or celebrity or whoever it is that they're following, which is really, really interesting because that's not, that's, I mean, that's, you know, live video is sort of an interesting thing happening in the U.S. right now, um, mostly because of uh, Facebook, but um, in China, it seems to be a much bigger, more diverse um, and, and more important trend that's going on. And I think that's driven a lot by micropayments, which I think is interesting. You know, it's, for all the attention we pay socially, you know, in, in U.S. in the U.S. socially toward um, uh, like YouTube personalities, it's actually really hard to make a living um, as an internet personality uh, in the U.S. And um, and, and it, I'm sure there are a bunch of internet personalities in the U.S. who would love it if if uh, microtransactions, these micropayments, were a standard part of a standard feature of how they do things here, but that's just not how it works culturally in the U.S. But it seems like that this, these micropayments are working really well in China for live streaming, and, uh, and and that's changing the nature of the Internet there, making it much more unique. Um, th- this this points also generally, and she talks about this as another topic, that, that mobile payments are exploding in China. They've actually had over $5 trillion in, in, in uh, mobile payments last year, which is a lot. And these are what's interesting is these are mostly microtransactions, meaning very small payments, less than a dollar. Um, you know, this was once the dream in the U.S. for fueling internet content, but it never really materialized, largely because of interchange fees. Because you'd have to, you know, whatever platform you're using to make micropayments ultimately came off of a credit card charge. And interchange fees in the U.S. are between two to three percent, depending on who you use. Um, whereas in China, they're they're like half of a percent, and with much smaller internet interchange fees, it sort of allowed these mobile payments to to take off in China. And so that's so it's interesting to watch mobile payments grow there because they're growing in this really kind of unique way that uh, I'm a little jealous about. I, th- I think our internet would be a much more interesting uh, um, uh, place, not necessarily dominated by the likes of Facebook, if if uh, if microtransactions had become a possibility here. Um, obviously not everything is being paid for individually and so there are the, the ad the ad business is growing in China mobile ads in China are now at about 40 billion dollars um, but uh, that is tiny um, compared to the 73 billion spent in the US <laughs> so so there's a lot of room for growth um, in China as far as advertising goes when you consider the difference in populations there I think the thing that you take away from the China section of her deck is that China, the Chinese internet is super unique globally. Um, you know, I, early on there was there were a lot of internet U.S. companies that were hoping to have a big stake in the Chinese internet. They knew that it was going to be growing rapidly, 
And, you know, that didn't really materialize. And the Chinese Internet is driven largely, not largely, you know, the vast majority of it is driven by Chinese companies and U.S. companies never really were able to establish that much of a foothold. I think that said, I think it's still it's because the Chinese Internet is so huge. It's still worth it for U.S. companies to invest there. But that said, the winner takes all nature of tech and especially the Internet makes that hard. So, yeah, the Chinese Internet is just a really unique place. And if you're not familiar with it, I think Mary Meeker's deck is a great way to get a, a good picture of how it's different. Yeah, absolutely. It was something that really stood out to me as I was doing some research into the Chinese Internet companies recently. I did a, an analysis, I think, about a week and a half ago for TechPinion subscribers about um, the Chinese Internet companies and the big three there. Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent, and where their revenue comes from. And, and even though they're each compared to one or more U.S. equivalents on a regular basis, they're actually very different businesses. And uh, you talk about micropayments, that's clearly a big part of it. But then subscriptions are a remarkably big part of it too. Subscription content services, even for, for relatively small content providers, you talk about sort of online personalities. You know, the problem with YouTube as a business model is even if you have millions of fans, it doesn't necessarily generate that much revenue but if you uh, are a, uh, an internet personality in China you can charge each one of your sort of loyal users ten dollars a month or something and suddenly you have a pretty decent revenue stream even at you know just a few tens of thousands of subscribers so very different business models there and payments is another one it was in the news a lot this past week with QR codes and, and how central those are to mobile payments in China, which has never taken off and people are very dismissive of it here. And yet somehow yeah. there it, it crossed the hump fairly early on, both on the user adoption and on the sort of retailer side. And now it's this massive part of the Chinese economy. So lots of really unique stuff there. Um, well, let's wrap up by talking about India. Um, that was another big sort of geographic segment of her presentation. And India, you know, Apple in particular has often talked about, Tim Cook loves to talk about India as the next China. And I've argued that it's a very long way from being that still at this point. And, and if it, it does become the next China, that's years away. But tell us more about what Mary Mika has to say about India. Yeah, I think you're right. It's still years away, though maybe not as many as we've assumed. Um, the economy is growing. The Indian economy is growing at about at about six point eight percent, which is just as fast as China. the The important difference to point out there is that the base is much smaller in India. It's at a two point two trillion dollar economy versus Chinese the Chinese economy, which is eleven point two trillion. Um, there's a huge gap, still internet gap in India. Only about 27% of Indians use the internet. Um, that doesn't seem like very much, uh, especially when you compare that with China at about 70%. Um, but it, India's group of internet users now is at th 355 million, <laughs> which actually makes it the second largest group of internet users globally. That's fascinating um, because it's fascinating to think that there's such a small percentage of Indians using the internet, and yet collectively as a group, they're pretty dang huge. Um, smartphone sales have flattened there just as they have globally, um, but internet use is going up dramatically. Um, in fact, the year-over-year -year increase in data usage in India grew by nine times, um, and that's mostly because data costs are finally coming down in India where they need to be. Um, according to one recommended measure, it, Internet should cost about a gig of internet should cost a month should cost about two percent of GDP per capita, and and it, it was only last year that India's data costs finally got below that threshold. 
Uh, I think what's interesting to think about with India is, you know, China has this really unique version of the internet, and it's, it's curious to think whether or not India will end up in the same way. Because it's still, you know, a relatively small percentage of Indians that are using the internet, although it is a big number. Facebook um, has three of the top five downloaded Android apps in India. Um, WhatsApp is number one, Messenger is number two, and the f main, the regular Facebook app is number five. Um, there isn't even an Indian uh, 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 company on that list until you get down to eight and nine. Um, and, and so, and this is again coming from Mary Meeker's deck. She's kind of pointing to the idea that U.S. companies might have a foothold in India where they didn't really establish one in China. Um, but yet, other than Facebook, the only other example she gives that's interesting is Amazon. Um, and she points to the fact that they have grown their shipping centers in India by 25 times over the last four years. But they currently only have 25 shipping centers. <laughs> so it went from one shipping center to 25 shipping centers. That's in a country with over a billion people. And so I'd, 25 shipping centers of Amazons in India is, to me, not all that impressive yet. Um, but uh, that's, an, that's another example of pointing at rapid growth off of a small base and how you have to make sure you pay attention to the details there. I don't think it's obvious or even all that clear yet that Amazon is going to have um, much of a stake in India. Facebook, on the other hand, um, I think you can make a stronger case that Facebook is going to have an important place in the Indian Internet. But, you know, summarizing India, there's still a ton of challenges there. It still has very low GDP still is poorly ranked when it comes to uh, ease of doing business in the country. Um, schooling rates are lower. Infrastructure is still poor. What's interesting is you would say all these things about China 10 years ago. And so India is going to grow. It, 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 it is growing. Um, and all these things that are, that, are, that are measures of what makes it hard to do business in India are going to improve. Um, but the speed with which that will happen is, is, the, is the interesting question mark. I also, you know, as I was reading the India part of her deck, I just kept thinking about Africa, and that's a topic we've covered before. Um, uh, last year with a question of the week, I, I think, you know, we're going to, I think Mary Meeker is going to do the same analysis for Africa in the next five or so years, and she's going to be talking about Nigeria and um and primarily because that's where most of the population growth is and the economic growth is. But, uh, but I think Africa is, is, is sort of next in line behind India to be uh, on this sort of story path that uh, she lays out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's fascinating stuff. Thank you, Aaron, for running us through all of that. Um, we will have a link in the show notes and on the website to uh, the deck that Mary Mika presented and to the video if it's available. And if not, then to... Uh, coverage on the Recode website where it'll eventually show up. Um, but uh, yeah, well worth a look through, um, certainly a rapid fire run through of a lot of really interesting trends. And Aaron's just given us kind of a taster today. But uh, thanks for being with us as always. Uh, this is our question of the week uh, episode for this week, but we'll have our news roundup episode as well, hopefully up sometime on Friday. And uh, then hopefully we'll be with you again next week when the question of the week will likely be a rundown of the major announcements from Apple's WWDC developer conference, which I'll be attending on Monday morning. So uh, that will be the focus next week. Not sure exactly what the timing on that will be just yet, but uh, that'll be the question of the week. And then we'll cover the, the rest of the week's news in a, an episode later in the week. So thanks very much as always for being with us. And we look forward to being with you again shortly. Thanks.